Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Haskin, and I have with me to do this album review this week a very special guest, my good friend, my guitar player, my songwriter, my band leader from Era Patches, Jerry Field. And Jerry, how are you? Hey, it's going great, Scott. And yourself, are you cheered up? Are you ready to go rock and roll? Let's do it. I'm so excited to cover this album. I this is this is definitely an in an early influence album for me. But you ha- you have a very special connection to Ian Gillen because you work for him on his website. I do. I translate from uh, English to French for his website. Yeah, I just actually did a piece right now uh, where he bids adieu to uh, Steve Morse. Hmm. If you Gillen.com, uh, you will see that little French flag under uh, the English version. That's me. Is it? A, now, I, I know a little bit of French, and I know that not every word translates from English to a French word. Gillen, being the wordsmith that he is, because he's very articulate, is it difficult to translate his, his meanings? Sometimes I get some real doozies because not only is it choice words in English, it is choice. Uh, how would I say slang words? So I'm going like, uh, I, but he's totally available if I need help. I go, Ian, can you explain to me what this means? And he will. And then, uh, you know, then I can find an equivalent in French to, to the slang, you know, without using French slang. Uh, keeping it neutral is the basic rule of translation as a professional translator. He's just such a colorful speaker. Yes. You know, I I love the way that he phrases things. And, and just to give people an idea, I mean, go to, go to com while you're listening to this and check it out. But at his clock on his website, it says, just so you know when you are. Yeah. And and that's the kind of thing he'll do. He'll just change one word and just make it an interesting sentence. Absolutely. And, and if you have listened to uh, his intro, live intro, uh, in the last few years on uh, Strange Kind of Woman, he goes into a whole spiel about uh, a lady with missiles on her legs and stuff like that. And first, when I had to translate that, because he did put it in writing on, on one of, the, of his dear friends or something like that, uh, I had to go, Ian, come on, uh, can you help me here? And then he had a whole piece on uh, on physics. Uh, so I'm going, okay, I'll, I'll, I actually passed on that one because I'm not good enough in physics to... But the, the guy has a, a mind, an enormous mind full of stuff, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible. I think of, of all the people that you could have ended up translating, he would be one of the most challenging just for that reason, because he doesn't speak like most people speak. He has a very different mind. Yes. And, and also, he might come up with the most mundane lyrics, but they all have a hidden meaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as a, as a lyricist, he's so interesting. I For most singers, I tend to not care about the what the the dialogue in the song is. I tend to think of the voice more as an instrument and just hear it as sound. But with Ian, his, his, his stories are always interesting or they're anecdotal or they're funny. He's, he's worth paying attention to. Absolutely. Yeah, I can't say that with a lot of other singers, but I, I think he's he's a great storyteller for sure. Yes, indeed. So today we're going to be reviewing Glory Road, which came out uh, August 8th of 1980. Now in in the States here, and this is definitely something that would be unique to America, the first week of August is known as National Clown Week. So for some reason, 
Uh, clowns are celebrated in Kearney, Nebraska. They do this big festival, or at least they used to, uh, which is funny to me because clowns are things that people mostly hate or are afraid of. So I'm glad he waited until the day after Clown Week settled and everyone was hung over to release the album. Uh, Jerry, what what is your memory of, of your first contact with this album? Well, my first memory is, uh, first of all, I got it because it was Gillen, right? Right. I'm a huge Gillen fan from Deep Purple. But uh, I kind of didn't uh, get too much into the Ian Gillen band ones, which were more jazzy and... Uh, I don't know, they just didn't resonate with me. But this one, uh, just like hearing uh, Bernie Torme go totally nuts, uh, that made the album for me right there, you know, as a guitar player. And uh, so that was my first impression when I listened to it. I said, oh, these songs are like, they, they really like kick off and they, they have this wild guitar playing. And, you know, it, it was heaven for me. Absolutely. You cannot go wrong with Bernie Torme. I mean, he's just absolutely phenomenal. And the this album, it's from a guitar player standpoint, is it, in your opinion, is it, it seems really technical in a lot of ways. Uh, yes and no. Uh, I would say uh, Bernie is not that technical, but he is definitely wild and forceful and uh, inspired and fiery. Uh, you know, all, all sorts of like I would almost compare to Jimi Hendrix and, you know, like, you know, he's on the verge of losing control, but he stays in control, you know, and, uh, I just love that, you know, and actually I got a little anecdote with Bernie. At one point I was talking to him uh, for a collaboration, which almost happened, but he died before, which was sad. So that was another guy I spoke to, you know, about like we were talking multiple collaborations and it would be a great honor to have him on one of our songs. Oh, it it absolutely would. And I mean, you've had, you've worked with so many great people. I mean, we've got a a gentleman from Dream Theater on the the new album. We're working with David Stone, who's known for, you know, Rainbow. We've got, uh, you've worked with Don Airy from Deep Purple and Rainbow. Uh, You've really been blessed with having some great connections. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed working with Don. I enjoyed working with Vinny Apice too on a song. You know, I, I wrote it for him basically, and he accepted to play on it. You know, which was nice. You know, Vinny is is one of those drummers I love because he's a, a melodic drummer. He has a good range of toms, much like a Nico McBrain from Iron Maiden, where he can really play a more melodic range than a lot of other drummers can. Well, I've noticed one thing about Vinny. You, you know, uh, it's hard to play fast stuff, but it's even harder to play slow stuff. Slow stuff? Yes. And faster at slow stuff. Definitely. Yeah, I I would absolutely agree. As, as a drummer, well, I mean, you, there's a point where you're, you just get lost in the tempo, but excited in the song. And there's, I think, a natural thing to kind of speed up and find a, find a more exciting heartbeat in the song when you're playing like a blues or something slower. Yeah, but this guy, like uh, I had him, I wrote a doomish song kind of in the vein of Sign of the Sound of the Cross there. Mm. Uh, and uh, it's slow. And he keeps the beat off. And it's a long song. It's almost seven minutes. And he keeps it right on time through the whole seven minutes. You know? Right. Yeah. He, he's, a, he's a natural born metronome. Yes, he is. Absolutely. Uh, well, our first song in this album, now, now there are a couple of different versions of this album. The link in the show notes that I put in for Amazon and iTunes is to the 
uh, basic extended version. And then for iTunes, I put the further extended version. The original album had nine songs on it. The expanded version has 16 and the newer expanded version has 21. Now, the expanded edition has been remastered. The more expanded edition does not list itself as remastered, so I'm not sure if it is or not, but there are plenty of songs to dig into. We're covering basically the original album of nine songs today. And within that, there were two versions of that. There was a difference between the American lineup and the European lineup. We're working with the one that starts with Unchain Your Brain, which is, I think, a kick-ass album opener. I think like it's a really, uh, it chugs along very fast. It, it's like a sort of a fast train going here, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's what I like about it. It's, it's like that chugging feeling. The first two songs are chugging feelings. Unchain Your Brain is a faster chug. Uh, and he's, you know, he's, he's talking about don't stop living or you're going to die kind of thing. That's, basically what I get from that song. And he was talking about that recently. You know, he says, if we stop touring, we won't be able to at one point anymore. Exactly. It's like, and I don't know if this is true, but I, I remember a science teacher in, uh, in, in my middle school years taught us that penguins used to be able, they used to fly like any other bird, but over time, uh, because of their environment and the change in their behavior, they got very docile and they stopped flying. And of course, now they can't. They're not. They're just not able to do it because of their proportions and weight as over the generations. So, right. and it makes perfect sense. I think that's very true. I think if you if you slow the train down, it would be very difficult to get that train to move again. Right. Well, that's what Gillen's mentioned that many times in the last few years about touring. You know why why he's not stopping. <laughs> And why are people are going like, uh, will Deep Purple ever stop? You know, like it's it's time, but no, he says it's not time. As long as we can do it, we'll do it. You know, and I think uh, Unchain Your Brain is about that for for a person. You know, not for a band maybe, but uh, for a person like never to stop going and be yourself, but don't give up. You know. Well, and, and I think they're going to be up there until limbs start falling off. I think that's the only thing that's going to stop Purple at this point. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, they've been doing these huge festivals over in Europe. Uh, Uriah Heap's been playing with them, which is a really exciting combination for me, because those are two of my favorite bands. Big box, man. He's a, he's a hero. Yes. Uh, the guy is amazing. Absolutely amazing. And, and uh, you know, of course, since I started the podcast uh, for, for Uriah Heap, I, I have been in communication with him quite frequently. And He's just such a joy as a person, which makes me enjoy their music even more, much like the guys in Purple. They're wonderful people. Yeah, I've, uh, I've talked to, to him, uh, to Bernie, to uh, Davey. Yeah, they're all nice. Mm-hmm. You know, getting back to, to Unchain Your Brain, mm-hmm. it is that. It is never stop going or you're just going to wither and die there. And I think the pace of the song, the tempo of it speaks to that too. Like you've got to keep in motion. Absolutely. That's how it well mm-hmm. well here is a little clip from from unchain your brain
so I, I think what I love about this song is the song is just on fire. It sets a great pace for the album saying this is going to be a heavy album. It's going to hit you hard and you better buckle up. Yeah, absolutely. So on the second song, uh, are you sure it kind of like slows down, but keeps that chug. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you've been running, now you've jogged for a little bit, relax and get back in the running after and I love this song because there's there's seriousness in the lyrics, but there's great humor in it too. You know, which is very typical for Ian. Um, what is, what does the song mean to you, though? I've never really been able to figure out what it means to me. I don't know. I think he, he does talk about the devil in there mm-hmm. and uh, gonna fight you for the human race. So that that kind of reminds me of Chris the Bird right there. Mm. And. Uh, of course, he goes, I'll be your confidante. Tell me of all your desires. That's definitely devil talk. Yes. <laughs> so it could be that. I think it's also, it shows, and I don't know if this is the actual text that he meant, but I think it shows that, that there's always balance. You can't have good without evil. You can't have this without that. There has to be a counterbalance to everything that we have in the world, too. Yeah, but at the same time, like if you, if you take the second uh, verse there, when... Uh, there's a, a creep gets arrested by a cop mm-hmm. and you know, I do admire the way you feel a caller, like saying uh, the cop gets kicks out of arresting people, you know, the beating and showing that ain't so lovely dubbing uh, cop beats up the criminal, you know, who's the criminal here. Right. And it is, is the, the money, the only reason you're into it because it seems like you're really into beating up criminals. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. Well, I mean, it's fair. You should love your job, I guess, but maybe find something that you don't have to hurt people. Yeah. Well, some people like, are like that, you know? Like, I, I mean, we can think about uh, what happens in the United States a lot, you know, with the cops there. Mm-hmm. Very much so. And and uh, the, the example he did with the judge and the hooker, it was kind of the same thing. He's like, you know, you're you're making money, but you're also getting a lot of pleasure out of this job. So is the money the only reason you're doing it? Is is there another facet that attracts you to be this thing? See, like the cop uh, with the violence and, and the hooker with the pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so yes, definitely. And I love that Ian just seems to explore all kinds of topics. He he'll he'll touch on politics, but he doesn't do that a whole lot. He's more he just more takes observations of real life things and turns them into stories. Politics, if you remember the song Mary Long, that was very political. Oh yeah. Bananas, uh all about uh you know policy says you should have bananas of such size or they will be rejected even if they're edible you know like mm-hmm. democracy politics uh he 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 goes to it 
in very, very subtle ways. Right. And the song um, uh, Time for Bedlam would be another example of how how controlled governments make people feel and, and how, you know, you need to do what we tell you and think the way that we tell you to think. Uh, the bananas example is perfect because I think that is just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. Yes. And if you've been on Ian's site, he does talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, if you've read his Dear Friends or uh, Q&As, uh, there's a lot of interesting uh, explanations for, for some of these. And also the lyrics. He has uh, like the wordography with some lyrics and explanations of those too. So it's a very good reference site, I would say. Oh, yeah, uh, that is that is one of my favorite websites to visit because it's so colorful and it gives you so much information on why he wrote the lyrics, what inspired him, why he put this line in there, that sort of thing. Um, yes. and, and again, he's, he's he's such a wordsmith that it makes it enjoyable to read the story as well as learn why. Uh, let me ask you a question about bananas, because I, I think this is a really interesting thing, how controversial the cover was because they have a, a kid on the cover next to a, a huge pile of bananas. Um, why do people get so drawn up in the drama of, oh, they put this on their album cover? Why should that even be important? I don't know. I think it's an exaggeration. You know, they say, oh, it's their worst album cover. But, you know, there is a meaning behind it. You've got to go look for it. Exactly. To, to me, it symbolizes uh, the exploitation of, of, you know, foreign labor and, and the bureaucracy and it's, it, there's a whole lot of stuff to look at in that cover. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a fantastic cover. I think it makes a huge statement, especially if you take 10 seconds to learn the story behind it and, yes. you know, understand what inspired it, you know, and, and another another Roger Glover find is he just finds these magical things to add uh, as, as he always does. Yes. Now, bananas, that, that is very special for me because bananas is when I actually met Ian Gillen and started working on his site. Oh, wow. Okay. The wordography for that one in French. Mm-hmm. So that was my uh, initiation to, to the bunch of them. Wow. And, and I don't care what anyone says. I think it's a fantastic album. It's yeah, The song itself is like uh, Prague, Emerson territory, that song. Yes, very much so. And and I, I as much as I, I hated having to wait, I think it was ten or eleven years for that album to come out from their their uh, from Perpendicular. Uh, yes. It was well worth the wait because it's I I love that album. It's great. Yeah, it wasn't crazy about the follow up, but uh, you know, uh, which I had great songs on it? Uh, was it Rapture? Yeah, I mean the song Rapture itself that was great. Wrong man, mm-hmm. I, I love. Don Aries tone so much on Wrong Man when mm-hmm. he did the song with us during the mist. I said, Don, you gotta use that same sound. And he did. I love it. That that is probably one of the albums I listen to the least. Uh I, I agree. Rapture of the Deep is is a great song. Um clearly quite absurd. I love. Uh the, the last one on the album, um, I can't think of the title of it off the top of my head. Uh, I love that one. But but the album was very bluesy. It has a very studio dry sound to it. Yeah, uh, I, I, yeah I, I, I think there's some good stuff on there, but I, I kind of put that with Slaves and Masters. Like, there's a couple of really amazing gems, but it's not a go-to album for me. No, no. But then, you know, uh, they followed up with the Ezrin stuff, which was <sighs> dead. just deadly. Deadly. Brilliant combination of minds right there. Yeah. 
And and I have to say, when when I found out that they were doing Turning to Crime as a cover album, I thought, oh, the writing is going so well. You guys are writing some of the, the my favorite stuff you've ever done. Don't do a cover album. Keep that momentum going. And then I heard Turning to Crime, and I thought, well, okay, I'm, I'm not going to complain about anything. This is a great album. <laughs> great covers. Great, great. Amazing, yeah. And, and, and just as a quick side note, uh, Don's part coming out of the chorus in White Room, just that little synthesizer lick that he does, makes that whole album for me. And Don's another one that just finds these magical little things to put in there that make all the difference in a song. Well, I think Don and Steve, uh, those two guys, you know, they changed the direction of Purple entirely, but kept it true. Mm-hmm. I thought that... Uh, Don is, you know, some people are going to hate me for this, but I think Don is a better player than Don Lord. He's just can do anything, basically, you know. And George, uh, John, sorry, was a heavier player than Don. Mm-hmm. Well, I think he he had the rhythm organ style to to balance Richie because Richie didn't want to play a lot of the rhythms, so he had a different style. He was, I think, a little bit more boxed in than by the time Don got into the band to work with Steve. Yeah, but uh, and I have to apologize. Uh, Bananas did not come after Perpendicular. It was after Abandoned. Yeah. And that was the tour. That was special to me because that's when I met Roger. I, I like Abandoned. It's a great album. I like uh, Jack Ruby, Fingers. Yes. Uh, Any Fool Know That. They're great songs. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's another go-to album for me. I absolutely love that one. Uh, but getting back to, to Glory Road, I have to say, Ian, throughout his different facets of Gillen and going and starting Garth Rocket and all that, he has always just played with some amazingly talented musicians. Absolutely. And I've had the, the honor to, to meet uh, Michael Lee Jackson. Oh, he's yeah. A great guitar player. And he actually, if you've seen our album, uh, Paradox of Denial, mm-hmm. it, like it's, uh, you see the Milky Way and a, and a person in front, that's actually a self portrait by Michael Lee Jackson. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> So he did our album cover for Paradox and Denial. Wow. I saw him uh, play with, with Ian when Ian was doing the Gillens in tour. And that's when I met Ian uh, for about 10 seconds at the meet and greet in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, I had contacted the record company and said, you know, I heard Ian's going to be coming to town. Is there anything I can do to help promote the show? So they sent me a bunch of posters and said, just go put these up, take pictures of them, tell us where you put them. And we'll give you a concert ticket. And I thought, well, I don't mind paying for the ticket. I just wanted to help, you know. So I get to the venue or or I I send them all the photos and they said, okay, thank you for doing this. We'll have your ticket and backstage pass waiting for you at will call. And I went, wait a minute. I didn't I didn't know I was getting a backstage pass. Shush, don't complain. (laughs) Yeah, I was so excited. And then the meet and greet was so disorganized. It was like basically everybody who was at the show just went behind the building and was at the meet and greet. Oh, there you go. So I, and there was no line. It was just a mishmash of people. You could tell Ian was getting really uncomfortable or annoyed. And he was like, okay, I got to, I got to get in the tour bus now. And uh, I, I just got to sneak in and shake his hand and say, thank you for everything. You know, you've, you've given us so much, which, which is really why I like to meet these people and just to, to, to thank them. And I mean, Ian's one of the people I probably spent the most time in my life with, you know, so to be able to do that was a, was a real honor. And uh, I don't know if I'll ever get the chance again. So I'm grateful that I got it. Uh, but I got to know Michael uh, through MySpace somehow. I, I, I think it was because he had posted something about because Rodney Appleby, their bass player, got shot. 
Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And I saw Michael Lee was on on uh, MySpace, so I reached out to him to find out how Rodney was doing, and then we kind of became friends for a little bit. A uh, super nice guy, very talented guitar player. Yes, yes, I saw them on that tour too. And the surprise on that tour was that they did uh, "Not Responsible," which was a bonus track from "Perfect Strangers." Yes, fantastic. And Bloodsucker. And Blood—that's right, they did. Yeah, oh, great memories. <laughs> I could go on uh, for hours with that. So the next song on the album kind of slows things down a little bit. This is a, a blues song. Yeah. And so it's like they've gone from uh, fast, hard driving to good chugging along to now we're going to take a little bit of lull in it. And this is called Time and Again. It's it's kind of a romantic breakup song, isn't it? Yeah. It's just uh, he's kind of brewing like the day that he can't get together with her not getting it you know and but he says we do it time and again so it's not the first time they break back together you know and one thing that's really interesting about the sound that ian has on this song is the the layers of vocals that he did because he'll do backups he'll harmonize but there's there's a lot of vocal layers on this one yeah and a beautiful guitar intro if i remember correctly yes and and I love the electric piano that we get on this. It just has a just a really nice mellow tone for this song. That's one thing I wanted to mention about Colin Towns. He's such an excellent player, but I uh, will be talking about it more later. Yeah, he he's fantastic on this album too. I mean, but just between his solos and his little little tidbits that he throws in here and there, uh, what a brilliant performer! But we'll get to him for sure. We will. Uh, but time and again, it's you know, it's it's nice around you know the third or fourth song to have something to kind of slow it down because with a band like Gillen, they're a high energy band. They're going to bring it. You kind of need a little bit of a breath somewhere in the song order. And I've noticed something in this album. It seems to go back to the theme of the brain mm. a lot. You know, like here, always damage my brain and then unchain my brain. And in, in a couple other songs, I think he mentions the brain. That's that's very true. And, and there is a bonus track uh, called uh, Post Fade Brain Damage. Yeah, there you go. Which, which is a little bit of a comedic piece at the beginning from Ian. Uh, there's some good comedy stuff on the bonus tracks, guys. I would say that they're, they're very well worth checking out. They're, they're funny. Um, but yeah, that's, that, I hadn't noticed that as a theme, but you're absolutely right. It's, it's all about getting into your head. Now, the, the next song on the album, I have to say, is one of my favorites. There's just, there's just something about this song that is so cool. As soon as it's over, I want to listen to it again. It's called No Easy Way. And, you know, this is really, it, it's it's an anti-suicide song, but it's, to me, it's more than that. To me, it's also just don't give up. Like, you're going to deal with things that are, are hard, 
but you can get past it if you just stick with it, work hard, and believe in yourself. I think about tomorrow, he says. And here I've noticed another theme. I don't know if that's uh, on purpose. Here you have a woman called Little Anne, and sleeping on the job, you got Big Anne. Hmm. So who knows what that is all about? Maybe she's grown up. Maybe. That's, that, you know, I can't believe I never put that together, but you're absolutely right. I think there's a really beautiful part in the middle of the song too, where it just, you know, the music kind of stops and you've just got those crash cymbals and a little bit of melody carrying it forward and a, just a beautiful delivery from, from Gillen where he's just talking some encouragement. You're so lovely. You're so beautiful. Please don't feel this way. You know, you don't have to be in, in this state of mind. Uh, that's my favorite part of the song. It just, I, I love when Gillen delivers a gentle vocal like that. Yeah, he, he gets very uh, right. Uh, he, he goes right in your soul with that vocal. Absolutely. And, and it's not something we get from him very often. It's it's kind of like a real treat when it happens. He he definitely knows, you know, that's, that's one thing as a singer I have to say is he really knows, I think, what his his strengths are and how many different things he can do. And he knows not to overuse any of them. Yeah, yeah, I think the only time where I've seen it overdo stuff is like completely on purpose, like in Disturbing the Priest, uh, uh, where he laughs like a maniac. Or half- <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and, and I covered uh, Born Again, uh, I think a, a couple of months ago with uh, my friend John Batola from the Deep Purple podcast. Another absolutely amazing album. We actually dug out the flute sound that's been buried in the song Born Again. Uh there are rumors that there is going to be a remaster of that album. They have found the original tapes, but there's no word on whether that's actually going to happen or not. So fingers crossed. Yeah, uh, at least they found the tapes. So I, I hear the problem was one of the uh, monitors was uh, not working correctly. So they mixed it like that with a bad monitor, something like that. I heard that story too. And let me ask you this. So let's say that they, they remix it completely. They clean it up. Everything is nice and audible in the way that it, it should have been released to begin with. When you hear that for the first time, because you've got the, the album that we've been given so ingrained into your head, is it going to be weird? Is it going to be enjoyable? Because the album sound that we've heard is a character of the album now. Yeah, it's like dirty and uh, muddy and... Uh... It feels like you're going through a, uh, the word escapes me, but, uh, you know, like a... Like a swamp. Swamp, yeah. yeah. It feels like swimming in a swamp, and, and you're just trying to keep your head on the surface, but uh, all this stuff, creepy stuff is going on about you. Like, say, you listen to all the sounds in Zero the Hero, and you're going like, wow, you know, like, I better be careful, or 
you know, get swallowed by this. Right. If bring this all up, what's going to happen? Am I still going to feel like I'm in a swamp? You know, that's character of the album, as you say. Yeah, and you know, I, I remember uh, thinking about how heavy the guitars are on Zero of the Hero and thinking how, how they weren't on some of the other songs. So I think we could we could potentially see more life in some of the other songs if they're able to stick with that heavy guitar sound, but they could also lose it in Zero the Hero just as easily. I'm I'm kind of like excited, but a little nervous about it at the same time. That I, 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 I don't think he would put it out if they didn't do it justice, though. Yeah, I don't think so either. I kind of feel, I feel the same way about And Justice for All by Metallica. And I know Metallica will not remaster it. They've said, the album came out. That's the way it is, and and that's fine. Um, but but I, I think I would feel that same element of nervousness if somebody were to go back and say, "All right, we're just going to start from scratch and remix this thing as if it's the original mix." Yeah, that I wouldn't do, but I would remaster it. Yeah, I, I just think the bass balance is a little bit off, and and the papery snare I, I think could use some beefing up. What bass? <laughs> right, right, yeah. Well, there's other parts where where the bass is just like so muddy and overkill and then it just comes right out of the mix again and there's nothing it's just such a bizarre sound and, and it's it's a shame because i think there's some great songs on that album i think their best sound was on the black album definitely yeah i i would agree with that yeah i mean and they made huge leaps from from kill em all to ride the lightning uh, huge leaps in sound uh but but yeah i think i think the black album was probably the best sounding album where they really started to to focus on that sort of the production you know my favorite still got to be master. Yeah, I uh, I love that album. <laughs> absolutely, Th- that and ride the lightning to me are just absolutely flawless. I wouldn't change a single thing on either one of them. Uh, in fact, this this episode will air a week after uh, Brandon from Metallicast and I finish our four part series on Ride the Lightning. <laughs> uh, that was a blast, an absolute blast. Um, our next song, uh, as we we kind of alluded to, is called Sleeping on the Job. This is a really kind of comedic song for me, just thinking about, you know, it, it, and it's kind of a double metaphor because you've got people that are physically sleeping on the job, uh, which you hear by like security guards that that can happen, um, but also mentally. When I was a press photographer, I caught a nice picture of a store with the sleeping security guard as seen through the break in the window that the robbers had done. And he was sleeping. <laughs> Oh man, well, talk about a, a million dollar shot. You couldn't have staged that and made it look right. Paper, all right. <laughs> Trust wow, me. that's fantastic. And another anecdote it's my band at the time. It was called Nightwatch. And uh, Sleeping on the Job is a song I wrote without knowing that Dylan had written a song, Sleeping on the Job, the same year, about the same month. You know, they were released at the same time. I'm going, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, and here's where I where I get to thinking that that this album is kind of technical because the opening of this is very intricate. There's a lot of notes being played very quickly. It's very intelligent, but this is quite a burst. And this is kind of where I think about more that this is a technical album. I think it's also a precursor of New mm-hmm. that that album. Personally, the faster songs anyway, like this one. I would agree with that. I, I don't know if you've ever tried to play the opening to the song on your guitar, but would this be, it, this seems like it would be really difficult at that speed. Oh, have it not. I've yeah. not. I've just enjoyed listening to it. <laughs> there you go. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't play drums to every song I, I've heard by any means. So for this this one, uh, yes, I have a person here who is actually a woman, not a working man, but a working woman. Mm-hmm. So there's a twist in the sexes here. Yes. And of course, her, her husband, who is probably a dude near to well at home, uh, never has anything left from his wife sleeping on the job, right? Right. You think she would be well rested. Yeah, well, she's sleeping on the job and sleeping on the other job. Right. I I have I, I have worked graveyards. Uh, I used to work at 7-Eleven convenience store for a number of years, and I've worked third shift many times. It It is a different uh, style of life because when you have your days off, you can't sleep overnight. You have to keep that schedule. Otherwise, you will be exhausted when you go back to work. It really doesn't work well unless you live in a town like I do, which is a 24-hour town. It's hard to keep that lifestyle active on your days off. Yeah, of course. Have you ever done a, a graveyard? Uh, not really. Be glad. <laughs> I've done is when playing gigs. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, those, and those are different because you're just wired after a show. You can't relax. No, you can't. It's same with karate. It takes me two hours to come down. You know? Wow. Yeah, that makes sense, though, because it's so physical and, and it, you know, there's there's the emotional side of because martial arts are a very intellectual thing as well as physical. Very mental. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And you guys are doing it. seems like you guys are doing so well with that. Yeah. Having fun, you know, like discovering this, like almost at 60, you know, starting karate almost at 60 was something. Was it difficult to, to start? Was it a little much, or were you in pretty good shape to start with? Terrible shape. I've always been a not a gym kind of guy and more a nerd kind of guy. And so I'm working at my work, which is like, uh, you know, pr- producing uh, pressings for bands and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. This guy comes in, and uh, I, I, I have to go back a little bit. As you know, I've written a book uh, on the history of uh, Air Force Squadron. Right. Anyway, so I have a lot of friends in, in the Air Force, the military, and uh, yeah, they even gave me a bloody medal for it, which was very nice. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal, which is a <laughs> So I wear it, you know, on parades and stuff like that. Uh, anyway, so this guy is in the military. Uh, I didn't know. This guy walks in my job and says, well, I'd like a DVD press for karate katas, you know? And I go, okay, cool. Yeah, no problem. And, and then I notice he's like military stuff on him. So I go, hey, you know guys in the 438? Oh, yeah, I do. Blah, blah, blah. So start yakking away. And he says, oh, I got a karate dojo just across the parking lot. 
goes, uh, you want to try karate? I go, we try karate. You know? <laughs> he goes, yeah, we, what, what are you doing tonight? It's Friday night. You got anything planned? I go, no. He said, come over and try it out. So I did. And I was like dying physically. But I had a huge smile at the end of it. I said, okay, I'm coming back. Nice. <laughs> I, I love when things are so organic like that, when when you just find a passion in life by by not setting out to find something, it just kind of comes to you. Yeah, that's what happened with the, the book. Mm-hmm. That's what happened with karate. You know, so when I was doing the book, I said, okay, well, you know, this is about flying. So I said, okay. So I started walking around St. Hubert Airport, which has lots of flying schools. And I ended up at this one talking to this flight instructor who's also a musician. So we're talking, talking, talking. He says, you want to come up with me? And I go, okay. So he let me try the, the piloting. And uh, so I, I, before I lost sight in part of my right eye, I managed to pull in seven hours of flight time wow. piloting, which was amazing. So Was it like a, a Cessna? Yeah. Okay. Uh, 152s and 172s, yeah. Wow, that is so good. You've really done a lot of things in your life. I love that you've you've really lived, you know? Yeah, I mean, I could go tomorrow, which I hope not, but uh, and go, wow, what a life, you know? Yeah, I, I have done a few things in my life that I feel like that was something I'm really proud of taking the time to do or, or taking advantage of a potential opportunity. Um, but I think, you know, just that's the key is is when you find an opportunity that is interesting to take advantage of it. I mean, you walked across the street to a karate dojo and look at you all these years later. Yeah, green belt, two away from a black. That's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. When when I was growing up, uh, I was learning uh, a strange combination. I was learning Aikido and Taekwondo, which are very conflicting styles. Oh, wow. Yes. Uh, but my uncle was, uh, I think he was a, a black belt in Aikido and like close to a black belt or maybe a black belt in Taekwondo. I don't remember, but I was learning from him. So it was, it was all private lessons, but man, that was, it was, it, it is very energetic, but there's a mental discipline that goes with keeping that going. Mental discipline, uh, respect, uh, and remembering that whoever you fight are your friends helping you get to your goal and not your enemies. Very you true. So for those of you who are watching Cobra Kai on Netflix, keep that in mind. There is a lot more to martial arts than what they're able to really dig into on that show. There's a whole mental discipline side of it that you only really touch on with uh, yeah. with Daniel. Get over it too much, but, mm-hmm. but you know, uh, there's a lot, it has to be sensationalism because it is a TV show. Exactly. Do it, do it well. And you know the the one thing that I've always argued, even even with Bruce Lee movies going back to to those days or, or older Chuck Norris films, is that if you get kicked in the face, you're probably not getting back up. As opposed right. to in the movies, a lot of the, three or four times they're getting back up and then getting hit with a board or you know nunchucks or what. You're not getting back up if you get hit in the head with nunchucks. You're you're not going to get up and start fighting again. <laughs> Because that's what they insist on a lot in our courses. Keep your guard up and protect your head above anything else. I mean, you can get a punch in the stomach, a kick in the leg. Fine. You you can get up, or at least you're not dead. But if you get a kick in the head, you might be dead. Exactly. Or certainly not able to defend yourself to any reasonable degree afterwards. Oh, if you look at some real karate videos, like fights, 
the guy gets hit in the head and goes down. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, very, very, very true. And, and kudos to you for at, at that age, starting something that's that physical. And I'm just glad that you're doing things that bring you joy. Cause like you said, we could go tomorrow. Life is too short not to enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, and, and also like I, I do it with my youngest son and my eldest son does it and two of his sons do it. So there's five of us doing it. And, and Michelle, she, she would be doing it, but she has a job schedule that precludes that unfortunately she was all the way up the yellow belt already wow i would be very interested because she's such a a varied vocalist with the things that she can do with her voice uh she and i talked about that when i interviewed her last year i would be very curious to see what her grunts would sound like uh, in martial arts because of all the you know the weird things that she can do oh right yeah yeah she she's very uh, vicious fighter. You you don't want to get on her bad side. <laughs> well, hopefully I wouldn't anyway. So you know we seem to get along pretty well. That's why we call her the Scottish sledgehammer. You know she's got big muscles too from lifting things in that kitchen. You know yeah, full of plates. You know. Oh no doubt, and she's such a sweet person. That's the kicker for me is that she is just so sweet and and humble and a wonderful person. Oh, she's all of that, but she can be very, very nasty too. I love it. Sometimes I love her. Oh yeah, well she yeah I I I really feel that you two connecting was just it was just meant to be. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Our next song up on the album is one of my favorites. This is actually the one that kind of sold me on this album being so great. Uh, it does have a very very long introduction to it, so I'm going to skip ahead and play a little bit further in and. I've talked about this on my album reviews recently, where it, it is kind of a problem for me to play the intro of a song when I only get it 30 seconds or a minute, um, because a lot of them can be long and drawn out, and you really don't get a feel for what the song is. So I'll play a little bit forward into it. Uh, this one is called On the Rocks. I, I'm still not sure what it's about, but it is just a great, powerful rock song for me. That is the masterpiece of the album. 